Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about synchronicities. Um, but before we get into all that, if you'd like to continue supporting or start supporting the Infinite Spark of Being and all that that entails, you can do that at the infinitesparkofbeing.com where you can find a link to a donation page where you can sign up to donate monthly through Patreon for $1 or $5 a month or a one-time kindness donation through Venmo. All the information's there on the site. Uh, there's also a link to purchase any of the two Infinite Spark of Bean books. Um, if you already have the books, you can also support this effort by purchasing t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, and art prints through the shop link on the site. So uh, here we are, synchronicities, let's get started. projecting a little bit here, but some of what I'm going to say might be touchy for some of you. Um, so I'm going to say this up front. If you aren't willing to challenge your beliefs, um, your faith, your philosophies, and uh, test your ideas, then this isn't going to be fun for you. Um, I'm going to push on a few things in this episode that might be upsetting for some uh, and, you know, on the point of testing our beliefs and challenging our faith, if you're afraid to find out that the things you cling to the tightest might not be objectively true, then maybe you aren't as interested in going up the mountain as you thought you were. Remember, Chogyam used to say, enlightenment is the ego's ultimate disappointment. Um so in this episode, I'm going to share a synchronicity that's been popping up in my life for a long time now. Uh, and with that, know that everything I say about synchronicities, the mind and symbolism, directly applies to my own experience as well. Um, I'm obviously not immune to these opinions that I have. So um, see, I understand uh, that the mind... Um, subjective experience and a lack of objective reality doesn't make things less valuable or less true. Consider this. Uh, apply it to the episode on chaos magic as well. But certain things feel like a lie because they're incongruous with the way your mind patterns your understanding of reality. Um, it is outside of your current pattern of perception, and that doesn't necessarily make it a lie. Um, we have to know that it's all empty and that it's all full at the same time. Um, this is part of that idea of holding two opposing ideas in the mind at the same time and believing that both have relative truth. Um, so what's the benefit of that? Well, uh, it keeps us loose. It keeps us mobile. It prevents us from being so rutted and attached to our concepts and ideas that we're unable to shift and move when the time is right. You know, um, things are going to change and it's a matter of whether or not you'll be able to move and release 
as they change, therefore lessening the suffering and discomfort. That's, you know, inevitable with that shift. Um, it reminds me of the Jack Cornfield story that he tells about the time he tried to catch his teacher, Ajahn Shah, in a contradiction. When he raised uh, his concern to his teacher, his teacher said, you know, if you were, you know, on a road and there is a ditch on the right side and you started to veer off to the right on that ditch, I would tell you to veer left. If there was a ditch on the left and you started to veer to the left, I would tell you to veer to the right. So um, with all that, let's move on to looking at the idea of synchronicities. Um, First of all, the word synchronicity was coined by Carl Jung in the late uh, 20s and 30s, or early late 20s, early 30s, something like that. Uh, but he got the idea for the word or the word from Chinese philosophy. And what, what synchronicity means is the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related, but have no discernible causal connection. Uh, and what Jung wrote himself about it was, synchronicity is the coming together of inner and outer events in a way that cannot be explained by cause and effect and is meaningful to the observer. Uh, but I think the best way Carl put it was uh, the way he described synchronicities. Um, he said, we put 30 spokes together and call it a wheel, but it's on the space where there is nothing that the utility of the wheel depends. Uh, we turn clay to make a vessel, but it's on the space where there's nothing that the utility of the vessel depends. Uh, we pierce doors and windows to make a house, and it's on these spaces where there is nothing that the utility of the house depends. Therefore, just as we take advantage of what is, we should also recognize the utility of what is not. So we're right back to the idea of emptiness. Um, all things are inherently empty and without value. And since all things are empty, the mind assigns value to them. Uh, each symbol is a vessel and the mind fills each symbol or vessel with meaning. And this meaning tells the body how to feel, how to respond to the symbol. Remember the widget exercise. I will spare you that, but remember that. Um, this emptiness is what Carl Jung is referring to when it comes to synchronicities, meaning that they're special to the experiencer, um, and that's, that's it. Uh, this means that the value or the meaning of the synchronicity or the symbol is not an objective thing, but does that take the, the meaning away or the specialness away, a specialness away, I say no. And, um, I'll tell you why the reason, uh, some would say that it does take the meaning or the specialness away is because they have forgotten the holy nature of the mind and the subtle body traveling with us as soul. They have forgot the holy nature of you. Remember, the mind is the subtle body. The mind is how we as souls are experiencing the curriculum of this particular birth. It transmigrates with us, the soul. So it matters. So depending on our curriculum, depending on our subtle body, that's what these synchronicities or constantly reoccurring symbols will be filled with. 
Um, and since experience is the mind, how you experience these symbols and what you experience as synchronicities when you experience them, uh, how you'll receive them will depend on the mind, the, uh, the karma. So uh, you see when, when Carl Jung mentions the fact that absence is what gives the window value, you understand what he meant and why it was important. You have to let go of trying to create objective or uh, objectivity in, in a subjective experience. Uh, let go of your need to prove it to others and, and you know the need you have for others to validate your experience. That's why these things are personal. So um, let me get into my own synchronicities here. Um, I'm not quite, not quite sure where to start, but I guess I could start off by saying that my synchronicities involve lights. Um, the first time I recall light being something that made me feel a kind of way or being drawn to the idea, I guess, was when I began studying Buddhism in earnest. Um, I would hear the idea of clear light mind, which is the notion that that is our essential nature. But it wasn't something that stayed on my mind all the time. It was just something that I read and thought, well, that's interesting. Um, then at some point, I ended up getting that paragraph from the Tibetan Book of the Dead tattooed on my thigh, which says, uh, remember the clear light, the pure, clear white light from which everything in the universe comes to which everything in the universe returns. It is the original nature of your own mind, the natural state of the universe unmanifest. Let go into the clear light, trust it, merge with it. It is your own true nature. It is home. Um, that was, again, something that I got tattooed. Um, I liked it, and I wanted to be able to read it while I was dying someday. So it's tattooed upside down so I can read it. Um, but long before I got that tattoo, I would see... It was weird. It was white light that would come in from kind of the outside corners of my eyes. It would seep in in a way. It would seep in from the left, other times from the right. Um, at the time, the practice I was doing involved my eyes being closed. So my eyes were shut. And it was like this white light would seep in and then pass over my eyes. It was very strange. It was kind of like when you have your eyes closed and a shadow passes in front of it. Um... It was like that, but it was white light. So it was like white and not dark. Um, it wasn't accompanied, like I said, by a sensation or anything like that. It was just light. Um, and I wasn't doing anything intense as far as breath work or anything when it would happen. So that was odd. Um, and it would happen early in the sitting session. It wasn't like I was deep in meditation or anything like that. That's why it was so fucking weird to me. Uh, the first few times it happened, I'd, I'd like open my eyes immediately because it was, it was startling. And then after a while, after, you know, having a few more odd occurrences during my practices, um, I began just kind of sinking down into these odd events. Um, as they would happen, I would breathe into them and just roll with it. And remember, at the time, they weren't synchronicities. I didn't consider them that. They were just weird phenomena that kind of, I kind of just made a note, you know, remembered that it happened. 
Um, the coolest and most interesting was something that happened while I was sitting in meditation with one of my teachers named Prem Shakti. Um, after having just finished some rounds of Kabbalah Bhati, Nadi uh, Shodhana, uh, you know, we closed our eyes and just sat. And again, this happened early on in the session. And in fact, it happened almost immediately, which was very, very strange. So I was sitting and something I was considering, it's called, I call it looking into the darkness. Um, and I don't know how to explain it other than that. Um, when you're sitting with your eyes closed, you look into the darkness the way the way you would if, if the lights were out in a room and you're trying to see that kind of like you're pushing into it with your eyes. Um, it's something I've done during remote viewing when that's been successful, um, breath work, uh, and on occasion when I do meditation with my eyes closed. Um, so I started doing it on accident when I was playing with Hemisync at one point, which was you know way back in the day. So this day, uh, we did pranayam and began to sit quietly. I was looking into the dark. And then it was like I was hovering face down over water, like a pond or something. I felt myself still, you know, sitting up. I hadn't, you know, lost body awareness or anything like that. But there was rippling water in front of me. It was very odd. In fact, there was like a grass in it or something, like grass standing up in it, like towards me. It was very odd. And... I noticed this bright light. It was like the sun reflecting off the water, like all the ripples and everything. Well, I remember feeling like I wanted to get closer to the water. So it was like I was lowering myself down over the water with my mind. I know this sounds nuts, but it was like I was pulling. So the water is getting closer. And I say my mind because I didn't notice myself having a body. You know, like you can kind of see your nose and shit. I couldn't see that. Well, um, what's wild is as I got closer to the water, that thing that I thought was the sun got bigger. Uh, it was getting closer to the water and I realized it was me. At least it felt like it was. Like I was like, oh, that's my reflection. I feel like I said, ah, oh, out loud or something. But I remember opening my eyes suddenly because it was so weird and cool, but when I did open, uh, when I did open my eyes, everyone else's eyes were still shut, and I just sat there like, you know, what the fuck was that? So that was weird. And I remember closing my eyes and trying to get back to it, but I couldn't. It was gone. So it was pretty cool. Um, anyway, like, so we were done. I told Prem, but she didn't really have an explanation or anything. She just kind of laughed and shrugged. Uh, usually she has some reasons for these things. It's usually accompanied by a Sanskrit word that I've never heard, but you know, not that time. So I just filed it away as one of those weird things that happen. Um, but the next incident is when I began wondering, uh, when I began wondering about this light reoccurring as some sort of a synchronicity. So, and this was interesting <laughs> As I'm thinking about saying it out loud, I'm like, this is only, only me. So <laughs> there's all these texts about this man named Hermes Trismegistus. Um, there's a lot of like who he was, what he was. I'm not going to even get into any of that or attempt to. Um, but there are these ancient esoteric texts of his teachings, and they can be quite difficult. Um 
a bit of a, there are a lot. Anyway, I tried like hell uh, in the past to read some of these, you know, over the years, just finding them and reading them. But the translations are always so fucking intense. And uh, they're usually translated by people that are not interested in the uh, spiritual implications of the teachings, but they're uh, more interested in them as like language translation exercises. It's like they miss all of the spiritual ideas due to their own, like, you know, lack of understanding as to what's being said. Um, anyway, I found this guy that does these really great translations on Audible and uses, he uses the weirdest narrator you've ever heard. I can't begin to describe, like, it's like a British accent with a weird lisp. But anyway, they're great nonetheless. In fact, I have some of his printed books as well. Um, his name is Jason Augustus Newcomb. Um, yeah, that's his name. Jason Augustus Newcomb, yeah. Um, anyway, I highly recommend all of his translations on things. A wide range. Everything from the Gospel of Thomas to the Vijnana Bahrava to the Sefer Yetzira. He does a bunch and they're great. Anyway, so I was at the gym listening to... <laughs> Poimandres, uh, was it Poimandres, the shepherd of mankind, a hermetic gospel cor corpus hermetic hermeticum, not a Harry Potter spell, I promise you, you know, you know, like you listen to it at the, at the gym. Uh, but anyway, I looked up at the movie and the movie it was playing was Suicide Squad. I've never seen the movie. It looked fucking dumb as hell, but either way, uh, there it was on TV when the second I looked up, my eyes caught something around Will Smith's neck. I, like I said, I've never seen the movie. I had no idea what it was, but it said, I am the light. And at the same exact moment, the narrator said, perceive the light. And this doesn't sound like a big deal as I'm saying it, but at the time, you know, again, leaf falling at the right moment. This stopped me dead in my tracks. Um... <laughs> I was on the recumbent bike, like, I don't know, like a 90-year-old man. I have no idea why I was on it. But um, anyway, for whatever reason, it impacted me very, very much. It was like being reminded of all, like, it's like suddenly all of these corresponding scenes from my life that involved light, which they just kept coming into my head. Even the fact that, like, like I, it was like I... I hadn't forgotten them, but it was like they all came together. Like when I'd walk in the woods and do Joppa and I would imagine this little yellow spark and all of the animals' chests and like people that walk by. It felt very intense and powerful um, just in that moment when I think about it right now. Of course, I feel nothing. Um, but it really got me thinking about light as a, uh, as a synchronicity in my life. But... Um, when that happened in the gym, the more I considered it as a synchronicity, the more I started uh, to kind of, you know, like I said, put these pieces together. But what's wild is like one of the pieces that I thought about was, you know, the paragraph from the Tibetan Book of the Dead that was tattooed on my thigh and the thing I experienced with Prem during that meditation. It was, I thought, oh, this might be a synchronicity. And even then I thought, well, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Just, you know, keep track of it. So I put it away. So back to the definition though, but real quick, the, the correlation between, 
I guess it's, I don't know if it's correlation, but the fact that this paragraph from the Tibetan Book of the Dead that spoke to me so much and essentially seeing my reflection as light, like it really meant a lot. Um, but back to this definition of synchronicity via Carl Jung, synchronicity is the coming together of inner and outer events in a way that cannot be explained by cause and effect and is meaningful to the observer. Um, later on in Poimandres, it says, if you yourself learn that you are life and light and that you, and that you came out of them, then you will return to them. This is a very interesting text. I highly recommend it. It's one of those deep cuts. Um, anyone that's interested in esotericism should probably be aware of this book. So here I am with this synchronicity that's been occurring really in my periphery for quite some time. So I mentally gathered all of my experiences, kind of filed them away that had to do with the light, and I stored them away kind of as under file under synchronicity. <laughs> Um, I didn't try to prescribe meaning to it, uh, and I didn't try to figure it out. I just noticed it and thought it was interesting and more or less decided that I was going to see it as a synchronicity. Uh, why? Mainly because of how it made me feel. Um, it was a very strange moment. I don't know if I would have called it a synchronicity, a synchronicity if it didn't have such a physical impact in that moment, the way I felt. And when I just, I don't know, when it all came together, it was very strange. Well, fast forward a few years, um, I'm eyeballs deep in John Keel. Uh, I had started with the Mothman prophecies, then I moved on to Operation Trojan Horse, and then onto the Eighth Tower. So I was soaking in all this paranormal research from the greatest mind to have ever done it, if you haven't gotten into John Keel, highly recommend it. Uh, when I was kind of thinking about it, I recall my mom saying that she and her friend saw a UFO on the way to a baby shower in the late 70s. Um, I can't remember exactly when. It was somewhere around the time that she'd gotten pregnant with me. Either way, uh, I was at her house on a Saturday and I asked her about it. And... Um, my mom was a very practical woman. And I remember the very first time she mentioned that she saw a UFO. I go, so do you believe in UFOs? And she goes, no. I want you to hear that. My mom saw, and the way she saw it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story, but, but she still, her mind wouldn't allow it almost. So I brought it up to her. I go, hey, like, would you tell me about this time that you saw this thing? And she goes, yeah. And I go, I go, what was it? Like, what did it look like? And she goes, it looked like light. And I kind of pushed her on it. Like, and she like, she goes, you know, I, she said this to me. She goes, I don't like talking about it because I don't understand it, which was a very telling statement for someone like my mother. I don't want to talk about it because I don't understand it you know, apply that to my entire childhood. But, um, <laughs> I love you, mom. But, uh, I was pushing, I was like, so what did this light look like? So she said that, she's telling me the story that she's going north on A1A on the beach road here in Palm Beach County around Jupiter, those of you that might be local. 
she's approaching Carlin Park uh, by what we used to call Double Roads, which is now called Kite Beach, which I have all the kite surfers. Please stop it. Um, but uh, she said the light came down over the road. And I said, well, what did you do when you saw it? And she said, I just sped up towards it. I go towards it. Like I was a spotlight. She goes, no, it was like light. And I said, how big? She said, it was the size of a car. If you put the car on its nose, like a car standing up. And she said she was heading north in the right side lane. And it was like over the left. But she said like, eye level that it was like essentially over like you know not touching the road but hovering over it and she goes my friend Lorraine was with me and I was like what Lorraine I go who's Lorraine she goes I should call her and I'm like fuck yeah you should call her so she calls this lady Lorraine that she saw a UFO with Lorraine is still alive this was right before my mom died by the way so she was 84 when she's telling me the story and her friend I don't know probably close to the same age they start talking about this thing and she goes, yeah, it was like when you watch the space shuttle go off, but it was huge and it was on the left side of the road and it was right. Over. And I'm blown away by this. And these two ladies start talking about, you know, who was at that baby shower that they start talking like ladies, ladies, there's a fucking UFO. Can we not worry about who's at this goddamn baby shower for a second? I, it was so funny to watch their minds like, yeah, yeah whatever. So that and then they're talking about this baby shower. And anyway, so it was really cool that Lorraine kind of corroborated what my mom was saying because, you know, I, I, I'm interested in like what's really going on. Right. And so it was nice. But anyway, so she gets off the phone there and she goes, yeah, it was really bright. Um, and she said she drove like towards it, like past it or whatever. And then she goes, it wasn't as strange as the second time it happened. And I'm like, what the fuck did you, like the second time it happened, this happened twice. And this time she said it happened in like the mid 2000s. So my parents lived out on Lake Okeechobee at this time. Um, and my mom was still working and she would drive 45 minutes into Lake Park to go to work from a place called Port Mayaka, which is legitimately nothing. I don't believe there is a single business in Port Mayaka. There are a handful of houses. That's it. But um, anyway, um, this was a funny one because I was trying to get her. I go, okay, so tell me what happened. She goes, well, I was driving out to the lake. I go, okay, so you're headed west. She goes, yeah. I go, what road? And she goes, on well, Indian Town Road. I said, all right. And I go, what did you see? She goes, I saw this light over the road. And she goes, maybe it was someone throwing a hunting light over the road. I was like, 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 so you saw it go over the road, like from one side of the road to the other? And she goes, yeah. And I go, oh, so it just kind of like, was it a small light that landed like in the grass on the left side? She goes, no, it was the same size as the other one. I'm like, mom, that, you're, what's funny here to me is that her mind goes, remember, she said this thing was the size of a fucking car. And she goes, well, it may have been a hunting light. I'm sorry, a, a fucking hunting light. This was so funny to hear my mom do this because I'm watching her total logical mathematical brain take a shit but um it was the same thing it came down over but she said this time it like lowered itself 
where she kind of, the way she described it the first time is they didn't, it just kind of appeared. Like they didn't see it, but she said it kind of came down over the car and it was like hovering. I go, okay, so what I asked her, I go, so was it sitting on the road? She goes, no, it was over the road. I go, oh, like up in the air. And she goes, no, it wasn't touching the road, but it was, you know, in the same place as the other one. This whole fucking thing was weird to me, right? But what was really cool was A, to watch my mind, my mom's mind rather, kind of spiral and try to make sense of it because she'd never really talked about it. And B was hearing her friend Lorraine kind of describe it. Um, but I put them, it was weird. And and I, I, like my mind's doing it right now. It's linking that with like, man, this sounds crazy. That with the what I saw like over the water during that meditation, right? I don't know, it's very strange, but this idea of lights keeps popping up. And there was another time that I think I saw something over my car, but I really, it was, it was so strange that I wouldn't even bring it up because I'm like, I don't know, it was fucking nuts. But anyway, it's this idea of these white lights. So, so there are all these instances where uh, light keeps showing up. Now, um, that doesn't mean that there is an objective truth around why. I mean, I could begin digging into light as a symbol and what it means in, in all of these different cultures, but won't that just be someone else's description? It'll be the widget thing again. It'll be someone else's experience. Anyway, uh, <laughs> due to my karma, my mind seems to go towards beings of light, which is this thought that you know, at times of intense practice was hard for me to shake. When I was in these modes where like my practice was really intense, I kind of waver in and out. Like I have my normal everyday shit, but sometimes I really dedicate a lot of time to doing certain things. Um, but in those moments, the the beings of light thing, it, it's like having a song stuck in my head that you can't like shake it. And every time there's a free moment, your mind brings it up. Uh, and the feeling of that being, again, our essential nature feels so heavy and so strong that if you had a gun to my head and told me to tell you what I truly believe, that would be it, that we are essentially light. Um, but you know, that's just what I've put together over the years. I don't know how true it is, but what's it done? Uh, when I allow my imagination to run with it, it really strengthens the concept of soul in my mind for whatever reason. And it further facilitated the experience of being with people as souls rather than these corporeal vessels of blood and meat. Um, so, and that's all we're doing here. We're, we're filling symbols with meaning that allow us to, you know, move through the world with more skill and compassion. That's all we're doing. <laughs> um, I don't believe that those things make me special. I believe that they're special to my mind. 
I'm not creating a religion out of it. I don't believe that you, because there's so many people that have these things, right? But some of, of them try to make them special. And is it special? Yes and no, right? It's as special as you make it. But there's no need to make a fucking religion out of it. Anyway, so that's it for synchronicities. I hope this was helpful. Um, I hope that you found it very beneficial. <laughs> I don't know how, but it's just one of these weird episodes. I, I've been wanting to talk about it for a minute, maybe to turn you guys on to like, look at your own life. Are there things that are synchronicities? What does your mind kind of, you know, as much as I kind of scoff at intuition, what does your intuition tell you about it? Um, I was talking to a young woman this week about dreams and I, I said, which dream feels the most substantial in which feels thin because some of these dreams we have are very heavy and very real. Um, I also said it to somebody this week that was trying to weigh out, you know, options. I said, which of these feels thin and which feels like thick and rational and, you know, anyway, as usual, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out. I'll always respond. Um, and as I mentioned, 100 million times, no, probably just 41 times. If, uh, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the infinite spark of being, please do that. The infinite spark of There's plenty of options there to lend some support to this. And as usual, don't forget, you can always reach out and talk to me. You guys are finding out that more and more. And I love it. We're connecting, we're sharing ideas, world friends, give me a call. Don't be worried about it. Yeah.